So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would please help us to know how to apply that to our lives in these next few minutes. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are continuing our sermon series called Stuff Christians Say about different Christian catchphrases and cliches that aren't wrong. They're just incomplete or they've lost kind of their meaning through repeated use. And today we're going to focus on a short parable most of us probably have heard of called Footprints about a man who has a dream of two sets of footprints on a beach, which he takes to be his and Jesus. Footprints represent his life. And during the hardest seasons of his life, he only sees one set of prints and says to Jesus, why did you abandon me? And Jesus says, that set of prints are mine. Those were the times I carried you, okay? We've probably all seen that. You know, it's in posters, Sky Mall, on the plane, that sort of thing. And it makes a good point, that Jesus carries and comforts us when we need it. Some of you may be in a season where what you need is for Jesus to carry you, and he does that. And, and, and I've experienced that, and many of you have as well. But that's not all that Jesus does. There's another side to Jesus, and I think we dwell too much on the carry you side in the church sometimes, because you see, Jesus, yes indeed, he comforts the disturbed, that's true, but he also disturbs the comfortable. And there are times when for our own good, he will urge us, shove us, if he has to, to do something that is in our best interest to do. Someone sent me a cartoon a while back that sort of captures this other side of Jesus. And in the first frame, Jesus says, well, you see that one set of footprints, that's where I carried you. In the next frame, Jesus says, and that long groove there is where I dragged you, kicking and screaming. (laughs) Can anyone relate to that? Jesus carries us, but he also gives us a good kick in the pants when we need it. And I'm glad of that, frankly, because I don't always want to be comforted and there, there all the time. Sometimes I need Jesus to challenge me and call me to a higher, nobler life, tell me to man up and be all that I can be and other cliches like that. Now, I never like it when he does, but I know that I need it. Is there something Jesus has been nudging you to do? For your own good. And it is for your own good. The things Jesus says to do in scripture or through those nudges, it is always so that we can have meaningful relationships and adventure and purpose in life, connection to him, so that life gets maybe harder, but bigger, richer, deeper, better. Maybe he's nudging you to forgive someone so that you can be set free of the anger. Or serve someone in need to know the joy of making a difference in the world. Or to say, I'm sorry, to repair a relationship. Maybe it's to quit some destructive habit or to say to your spouse, okay, let's fix this marriage, let's go to counseling. Maybe it's not to actually do something, it's more to maybe pray for someone or maybe simply change an attitude that you have. I recently found out that there's a woman in my former church who's 101 years old and she felt God kind of nudging her to do a new challenge, which she eventually, after some resistance, did and she decided that meant getting on Facebook friending different people, sending them encouraging notes throughout the day, and praying for them. At 101, that's something that she could do. Well, it turns out that out of the almost billion people on the planet on Facebook, she is the oldest one. And when Mark Zuckerberg found out about that, he invited her to go to Facebook headquarters for a personal tour, which she did. When the first television interview aired, she got 7,000 friend requests. (laughs) She says she's getting carpal tunnel syndrome, trying to keep up. God nudged her, she resisted a bit, but it was for her own good. She found a way that she can serve to still be needed, opened up new relationships for her, even at 101. If you're not dead, you're not done. 
See, God loves us enough to urge us, and if need be, drag us, and it often is need be, kicking and screaming to a blessing. And you see that in the dialogue between God and Moses that we just read. Now, the background is the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God is about to rescue them, and he's going to use Moses. But Moses spends two full chapters giving tedious excuse after tedious excuse. And God listens because he loves us, but he also persists for the sake of the Israelites, who he's trying to free, but also for Moses to give him a bigger life. God has to drag him into one of the greatest adventures and into becoming one of the greatest heroes of faith. So I want to just walk through this passage to see how God sometimes forces us to be blessed. And you just ask the Holy Spirit what applies to you as we go through this. Okay, this text starts with, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now the reason that Moses is in Midian is because he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew and in anger killed the Egyptian, so he had to run away to Midian for 40 years, sort of a 40-year time out. And there are times when we need that, times when we just need a season of rest. But it seems that Moses has grown a little too comfortable in Midian for his own good. See, his passion was to free his people. That's why he killed that Egyptian in the first place. But Midian has become for him a place of escape and comfort. You know, he's got a wife, simple job, tend the sheep, come home, watch the chariot races on ESPN, that sort of thing. But he was made for more. He's given up on his passion, his desire, his dream to free his people. He's made to lead, made for an adventure. So here's the first point. To enlarge our lives, God will call us away from our places of comfort and escape. What is your Midian? We all have them. Maybe we try to serve God in some way, but it goes badly, so we decide never again. Or maybe we've gotten divorced or failed at a career, so we withdraw from people and shut down emotionally. Sometimes just the busyness of life distracts us from what Jesus is nudging us to do. Is there some place in your life, is there something God has been nudging you to do but you don't want to do it because you don't want to step outside your comfort zone. To enlarge our lives, God calls us away from Midian. Okay, so then the next thing that happens is Moses sees, sees a burning bush and God starts to talk to him out of it. Which brings me to the second point, and that is, if God gets your attention, pay attention. And nothing gets your attention like a talking burning bush. I mean, that'll do her, right? God is making it crystal clear here, but what's interesting is, in spite of that, it doesn't stop Moses from arguing, not one little bit, does it? Uh-uh. You know, we often think, well, you know, if God spoke to me through a burning bush, I'd totally do what he said. No, you wouldn't, and you know it. <laughs> How many times have I known what God wants, what God wants me to address some sin in my life, or reach out to care for somebody, or do the hard thing and confront someone when they're doing something to hurt themselves or others? And I don't do it. I remember the night before I was supposed to call the search committee that had offered me the job to come here as pastor. And I've told you the story before. There were all kinds of that process, all kinds of coincidences, unlikely occurrences. I had even heard an audible voice for heaven's sake. It was crystal clear I was supposed to say yes. But the night before I had to give the answer, I was still vacillating. And so my wife finally said, you know, you don't have to go, you know. You can say no. I mean, it'd be disobedient, but you disobey God all the time. What's one more? Even when it is clear, we argue. But if God gets your attention, pay attention. And God gets our attention lots of ways. It, it, maybe it's something someone says to you, or 
it could be a particular message you keep hearing over and over and over again. You know, you go to church, the pastor preaches on it. Next day, the same kind of topic comes up at work. Then you hear a song on the radio about it, right? Maybe that's God. It may be something we read in scripture, or sometimes God just puts something on our hearts. This is something I have lived all week. Pastors always live what they preach, right? Last Sunday, I told you a story about a woman from our church named Jean McAllister who went to live in Rwanda. And I mentioned that at first her kids were worried about that decision. Well, Jean sent me a very gracious email to just let me know that that wasn't the case. Now, I always ask permission to tell the stories I tell, and I have asked Jean in the past for permission, and she's given it, so I assumed it was okay to tell the story this time, which it was, but the part about her kids not being on board, that wasn't her. Now, I know I had that conversation with someone. Right? It, is, it is in here in my brain, but Jean says it wasn't her. So I blew it big time. And I feel terrible about this. For Jean, for sure, but also because it is very important to me that you are able to believe what your pastors tell you as true, which is try, why I try not to exaggerate or embellish stories as I preach. So I have apologized to you, and now I'm asking for, I apologize to Jean, and now I'm asking you to forgive me because I blew it. And I'm going to work harder at that, and I'm going to do better. I have like triple check the stories in this sermon. Probably do that from now on. Now, God has been bugging me about that all week. He got my attention. I felt like I had to do something about it, which I just did. I mean, it, yeah, all, pastors always live what they preach. It's so frustrating. <laughs> That's why next week we're starting a sermon series on how to handle a million dollars. When God gets your attention, pay attention. Don't blow it off. Okay, let's keep going. So then next, God says to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people, so I have come down to rescue them. And at this point, you can kind of see Moses going, all right, you go, God. You just whip old Pharaoh. This is going to be awesome. And then the next verse. But then God says, then God says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Say, what? What? So here's the next point. God will often call us to something hard. But again, it'll be for our own good and for the good of others. You see, in so many situations, you and I are God's answer to a problem. You are God's answer to a lonely person who needs comfort. You are God's answer to healing poverty, not all of it, but a bit of it by how you give and serve. You are God's answer to the problems in your marriage. Oh, no, pastor, I'm not. My spouse, man, they're the, they've got, they're the problem, right? No, I'm, you know, they're wrong. I'm right about some stuff here, pastor. Here's the thing. You can be right or you can be married. You pick. God says, that was wisdom, by the way. God, God, God says to us, I want you to go, you to serve, you to apologize. And we say, but that is too hard. No. But sometimes the hard thing is the right thing. And it helps us grow and it enlarges our lives. Like a mother bird kicking the babies out of the nest. Looks cruel as they tumble down, but it is the only way that they're going to learn how to fly. Guy in our church this week told me that growing up, the impression he got was that following Jesus meant being a nice boy and obeying a bunch of rules, which shockingly didn't inspire him. But the idea that Jesus is the greatest rebel of all on a rescue mission to this planet, now that excites him. And one of the places he's felt God nudging is just to be a little more open at work that he's a Christian. But, you know, he didn't want to do that in a Ned Flanders obnoxious kind of a way, so he just kept ducking the opportunities that came along. But God just kept nudging him. So on Monday, he sent out the announcement video to all of his co-workers that we showed here last week. You know, the rap video where some of our staff rapped the announcements 
where my wife, dressed as a rapper and rapped as she flicked over the Scott Dudley bobblehead and started dancing on my desk, that rap video, <laughs> he sent that to everyone in his office and said, check out how my church did announcements this week. He said it opened up tons of great conversations. People would say, that's your, your church? And the, that woman is the, pa the pastor? She flicked over her husband's bobblehead? What? <laughs> The fact that our choir was in it, that was cool, right? Some people said, that makes me want to go to church. One of my definitions of evangelism is changing assumptions. By sending that video, he changed assumptions. Churches can have a sense of humor. Different generations can have fun together. Jesus is no bore. But it was also good for him. Because he said, when I sent that video, I could feel the chains coming off. Now, it's hard to be open about being a Christian in the workplace these days. But God had been nudging him to do it, and when he did, he gave folks a different view of church and Jesus, and he felt freer. He felt some chains come on, come off. Hard? Yes, but for his own good, as well as for others. Okay, let's keep going. God tells Moses to go. Moses launches into his two chapters worth of excuses. I'm a nobody. I'm not eloquent. What if they don't believe me? Sounds like our excuses. I don't have enough time. I'm not smart enough, young enough, old enough, good-looking enough, whatever it is. And to each objection, God gives the same response. I am with you. <clears throat> I will help you. And that's part of the meaning of God's name. Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am. My name is I am. And it's an interesting name, right? The verb of ultimate being. And I think God's point is, I am with you, Moses. I will help you. See, Moses asks, am I, am I able? And God says, no, but I am is. It's not about am I, it's about who I am is. Which brings me to my next point. God will equip us. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God will equip us. And then finally, the last point, God knows what we want even more than we do. When Moses is all out of excuses, he says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. And you laughed at that. I love that. You just make someone else do it, okay, God? At which point it says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, or as the King James puts it, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Kindled, that can't be good. Why was God mad? Well, I don't think he's just running out of patience, although I certainly would have been. I think it's because he's trying to help both Moses and the Israelites, but Moses is just sure he's trying to wreck his life. When our youngest was a toddler, she refused to wear socks. But, you know, we didn't want her to get cold, so we just kept putting socks on her, right? And then she'd take them off. Well, one time she, uh, she asked my wife for a cookie before dinner, and my wife said, no, it's too close to dinner, no. And so to get back at my wife, Lucy sat down and with this defiant look on her face, very slowly started to take off her socks. <laughs> you know, as if she was thinking, no cookie, then I'm going to do this. How do you like that, mom? And it's like in her head, she figured if we wanted her to wear socks, that must be for our benefit, right? Not for her. When in reality, we just wanted her to be warm. That's kind of what's going on here. Moses, you're like, you're going to ruin my life, God. I think God's anger is because he's trying to bless Moses. And he knows that in spite of Moses' fears, the longing of his heart, the longing of his heart is to free his people. This is what he wants really all the way down, deep down. He just doesn't know it. See, God knows the longing of your heart better than you do. You've heard me say before that in, if in my 20s God had said to me, you know, Scott, someday you're going to be a pastor 
in Bellevue, you know, I would have said, oh, no, Lord, you know, let this cup pass from me. No, I, I feel sick. Stop, right? But as I've said, y'all are one of the best things that has ever happened to me, and I love you, and I love being here. See, God knew my heart better than I knew my heart. And yes, God's plan is sometimes harder. Look at poor Moses. He has to lead them out of slavery. All they do is whine and complain. There's no water. There's no food. They wander for 40 years looking for the promised land, leading generations of women to say it's because he didn't listen to Mrs. Moses and ask for directions. Right? And at the end, he doesn't even get to go into the promised land. He dies looking at it from the top of Mount Pisgah. All of that for what James Joyce called just a Pisgah view of Palestine. And yet, and yet, he drew water from a rock. He saw the Red Sea divide in two. He watched God carve the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. What an adventure. See, in all of his excuse-making, what is Moses missing? He's missing the high high honor of the call and the thrill of the adventure. And if he'd stayed in Midian, safer, more comfortable for sure, but what he would have missed, what he would have missed. See, God's dreams for us are so much bigger than our dreams for ourselves. So for our own sake, as well as for others, God will drag us kicking and screaming. He'll keep nudging, keep motivating people in our lives to say the words that urge us on. He'll nudge our conscience. He'll nudge our hearts. And then in a last resort, if need be, he will just let us do things our own way for a while until we mess them up so badly, we go back to him. <clears throat> There's a tongue-in-cheek poem that's a takeoff on the footprints parable that I sometimes read to my college students when I did college ministry that kind of captures how sometimes God just lets us throw fits until we're ready to follow him again. And it goes like this. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they're too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow, the walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired of your dragging feet, so there I dropped you on your seat. Because in life there comes a time when you must fight and one must climb, when one must rise and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. Now, the theology of that isn't quite accurate. You know, I mean, God, Jesus never gets fed up with us. You know, and I do want you to know my sermon review team said it was okay to use that because it makes a, a decent point. Sometimes Jesus will just let us throw our fits until we've messed things up enough that we're ready to do it his way. Heard a man tell a story about a missionary couple he knew who were back in the States for furlough, and the wife in particular really needed a rest. It had been a tough season. She needed to hang out in Midian for a bit. And finally, she thought, I'm going to have this place of my own where I can rest and relax, which she did for a few months until some new neighbors moved in. And these neighbors, they played loud music day and night. Their yard was a mess. They used foul language all the time. Totally disrupted her peace. And she felt God nudging her to reach out and show him love, but she did not want to. And she'd argue with God, no, they're the problem here, they're the distraction. And, you know, some of that was true, but all she felt God nudging her to do was go over and show some love. Well, it kind of reached a crisis when the neighbor's kid spray-painted her patio orange. And she was just furious, and she'd try to pray, but all, all she could do is just make excuses for why these people were impossible to love. And then the Lord brought to mind a scripture that says over all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfect unity. Now she knew that was God nudging her. So she made a list of what she would do if she actually liked these people. And then she started to do it. 
She baked cookies. She had the mother over for coffee, offered to babysit, and an amazing thing happened. She began to see that they had tremendous financial pressure and some health problems that were going on, and, and she began to have compassion for them, and in fact, began to actually love them. Even more than that, like and enjoy them. They gave her life. So much so that when it came time for her and her husband to go back to the mission field, she cried like a baby because she was going to miss these obnoxious neighbors so much. She didn't want to do it. She wanted to stay in Midian, and it was a hard thing to do, but she paid attention to God's nudges, did what he asked, and the result was she was set free from her anger. And she ended up making some good friends who made her furlough time deep and rich and meaningful and got to experience God moving in her life. God knew her heart better than she knew it. He knew that deep down what she really wanted was friendship, encouragement, and to feel closer to God, all of which came through those neighbors. So what is God nudging, cajoling, nagging, and dragging you to do? Give something, forgive someone, ask forgiveness, write a letter to someone, tutor a kid at KidReach, teach Sunday school, pray for someone. Maybe it's just to change some attitude in your heart. This week, not next week, this week, will you just do it? Because Jesus absolutely is the God who carries us when we need it, but he is also the God who challenges us, spurs us on, who calls us up and calls us out and sends us forward for the sake of that hurting world out there for sure, but also for our sake, to enlarge our lives and bless us even if we don't want him to. So Jesus, help us to hear your call. Help us to know where you are moving in our lives. And Lord, ask that you would then give us strength and courage and energy to do that. God, we pray that we could see it and follow you clearly, and we will give you all the glory for the results. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.